Hi everyone! Welcome back to another episode of Sake on Air. We're recording from Japan Sake and Shochu Association. Liar! <laughs> 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 I know. Usually we're recording from there. Okay, right, every now, we can say that. It's okay. It's totally okay. Sometimes there, there's logistical issues that we have to contend with on occasion. <laughs> so we are in spirit. We are transmitting. We're transmitting sake infused. Um, what? What? The people of sake actually brought me into sake. Back in 1988, this place was actually in Ginza on the main drag. At first it was kind of soy sauce. It was miso. To the point where it actually changed my life. New Year's Day 1989. Uh, not just sake as a beverage, but all the culture and history. And... Welcome, and thank you for once again tuning in to a brand new episode of Sake on Air, the world's number one podcast dedicated to expanding the dialogue on Japan's two most iconic beverages, sake and shochu. My name is Justin Potts, one of several of your regular sake navigators here on the show. And this week, we will be talking with two very inspiring gentlemen about what goes into starting up a new sake brewery outside of Japan. This week, we are joined by Mr. David Joel, head brewer and owner of Zenkuro, based in Queenstown, New Zealand. And together with him, we also have Mr. Matthew Shaw, the co-owner and head brewer of what is soon to be Melbourne Sake. When we got together with these gentlemen, we ended up starting to chat, and before we knew it, we were there for nearly three hours. Because of that, we decided to split this episode into two parts because there just wasn't enough fat to trim away. We wanted to keep as much of it intact so that we can share with you the stories of what these gentlemen have gone through, are going through, and are looking forward to in the future of their sake brewing careers. This week, I'm joined by Marie Nagata, Sebastian Lemoine, and Chris Hughes. We'll have part two of this episode coming your way in the coming days, so stay tuned for that. But until then, let's start the show. We're, we're sending the love. We're sending the love from. We're sending the love from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center. Yeah. And we have diffused that to a hidden location in Eastern Tokyo um, from where we're broadcasting today. That we are. We're just having to make do with um, an unusual arrangement today. I am joined by our usual hosts of Justin Potts, Christopher Hughes, and Sebastian Lemoine. Hello. Hello. And who are you? <laughs> I am Marie. I'm usually the voice that goes um and ah in the background, if you haven't noticed. And today we're joined by Dave Joel from Zenkuro from New Zealand, as well as Matt Shaw from Melbourne Sake. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Marie. Welcome. And team. Thank you. Good to be here. So the whole premise of this episode is on building and running a brewery outside of Japan. Um, you, Dave, are a seasoned veteran in brewing. Uh, with your Zenkuro series of sake winning some quite impressive awards as of late. And you met the art of brewing and planning to go commercial sometime soon. So with that all being said, um, so yeah, Dave, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners and start the show? 
Okay, thank you very much, Marie and, and team. Um, it's an honor to be here today and to have this opportunity to share some of the things that um, I've done with my team at Zenkura over the last five years. It was very nice of you to introduce me as a as a veteran. <laughs> um, after, in fact, we're not quite at five years, but this is it. We're in our fifth year, and um, compared to all the um, Japanese breweries I visit that are 150 years old, 200 years old, 400 years old, um, I certainly think we're still um, absolute novices. But um, we are trying our best and learning as much as we can as we go. So I, I'm, from, I'm from New Zealand uh, and I live in Queenstown, which is down the bottom of uh, bottom and the southern end of uh, New Zealand. Um, the uh, latitude is 45 south, so it's about the same as um, uh, Wakanae in Hokkaido, which is 45 north, I think. And a lot of Japanese tend to think we're, we're just, just a stone's throw from the South Pole, but um, we're a long way, but there's nothing between New Zealand and, and the South Pole, so if, if the wind blows from the south, even in summer it can be cool, which makes it um, a pretty good environment for making sake, and which is one of the reasons we um, decided to give it a go in Queenstown. Are you originally from here? I mean, from there? Or did you move to, Queens to um, Queenstown? Originally from about the middle of the North Island in a place called Whanganui. And then I came to uh, Japan for quite a long time, lived here. When I moved back to um, New Zealand, I decided Queenstown was a place for me. That's where I wanted to, to be. And uh, it's a beautiful place, um, a very nice, cool dry climate we have um, glacial lakes and and uh, mountains and glaciers obviously uh, that fill up the lakes and lots of visitors from all over the world so it's it's although it's quite a small town it's um, it's very sort of international um, did you choose Queenstown because you thought it was a good market for your sake because it was a good environment to brew or just because you wanted to live there um well I I, I lived in Japan for um, about 15 years and then about 20 years ago I moved back to New Zealand. At that time I was I was a, a seasoned, after 15 years in Japan I was a seasoned sake drinker but I had, <laughs> had never thought about actually making um, sake. So I, I've been um, working as a, as a Japanese speaking guide interpreter in, in, in Queenstown for 15 or so years and then about five years ago, the idea of making um, sake in New Zealand popped up. And what, what I guess one of the reasons um, we decided to go with it is because um, of the climate in Queenstown and, and the water and the fact that um, it's quite an international little town. Perfect place. As it turned out, yes, it's been an important factor. Yeah. The whole Originally, the idea was that... Um, it was something that could fit in. All our clients, uh, our, our customers who we guide, are Japanese. So we thought it'd be a nice fit to add something else. You know, we're always looking for, for things Japanese, and um, sake, providing sake for our clients was about as far as we thought, probably. <laughs> um, and, and the idea is we'd fit it in with what, what we're doing, what my guiding. But after about two years, I realised that that's not feasible and um, as some as sake brewing is not something you can do part-time yeah so I'm, I'm now completely over full-time 
brewing sake <laughs> and trying to sell it, of course, and, and, and spread the word about um, how wonderful Japan's national beverage is. Was there like one flash of inspiration or one moment or, or someone who said something or, or served you something or, or kind of that gave you this, this idea and, and right there and then it was like, yeah, I'm going to go back to New Zealand. I'm going to brew sake. It would be nice if I could say yes, but unfortunately, um, it's 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 a bit more complicated. Um, um, I, I first came to Japan um, forty years ago, and um, since then my life's all been about Japan, <laughs> doing Japanese things and learning the language. Um, I went to university, high school in Japan, university in Japan, um, Japanese wife and four four half Japanese children. And so it, it kind of evolved. I particularly like Japanese teamwork and um, doing things, um, doing things together, uh, even if it's repetitive, without talking too much. And just, uh, I guess it comes from that Japanese word kata. Just I like that style of doing things. <laughs> so um, I, I, one of my partners in Zenkuro is Japanese, and um, he he did get a bit of a head start on us and uh, became the owner of one of Canada's breweries and um, I've known him and his family for 30 odd years. About five years ago we, we were talking, he was telling me about um, uh, his brewery in, in Canada and that one day he hoped he could do the same in New Zealand. Perhaps that was when, the, the, that was the moment I put my hand up straight away. Were people egging you on or sort of saying you know this is crazy don't don't do this or kind of what was the feeling <laughs> that's a really um, a good question because I, I guess with with my um, mates who who set the company up with um, I set the company up with um, who are all sort of Japanese what do you call Japan Japanophiles and and we've done this guiding together for a long time and um, we was looking for new ideas um, and most of them were shot down <laughs> Very early on, and so this was a this was a new idea um, which I put to the team. The team loved it, um, and then we started sort of sending out feelers and trying to get feedback. And to to our great surprise and delight, um, everyone thought it was a good idea. And most importantly, my wife. Uh, Thought it was a good idea as well. <laughs> That's what I'm gonna say. As far as being, you know, supported, there's different, right? Yeah, there's yeah, different yeah. aspects you have to take into consideration, yeah, and different people's opinions yeah, that have yeah. to stakeholders. Yeah, it's, it's balance and um, teamwork, and you know, when you go into something new, you've got to. It's not often you get the support of everyone, but in this case, I, I you know, I would have to say, that, yeah, we, we had full support from everyone we we spoke to. So that was very encouraging. So when you, so when you go okay I think I'm going to do this what is where do you start? Well for me it was uh, go to Japan <laughs> what I like doing um, you know well if it, in, in in actual fact it was um, the idea was that we would get some brewers to come from Japan and brew brew the sake and and then we could learn from the brewers and and we'd do the, the sales and marketing and support. But um, I um, thought I'd better find out a bit about it first. Um, so I came to Japan and, and spent some time at um, um, Yoshikubo Shizo in, um, in Mito. And then I went to Canada 
I spent about a month at a very small brewery. Uh, and then, where, where was that, if you don't mind sharing? Uh, in, in Vancouver. Okay. Uh, uh, called YK3. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. And once again, that, that was um, my partner, um, Yoshiro Kaomura. He's um, invested in that, in that brewery there. So it was easy enough to set, set, um, set that one up. And then shortly after that, I um, decided uh, I was starting to <laughs> enjoy this <laughs> and, uh, and uh, decided to um, take part in John Gorton's sort of professional course. And um, after that, and along with Marie, yeah, yeah. And uh, once, once, once I'd done that, that was, that was sort of, that was it. There was no return. The hooks were in at that yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then shortly after that, I went back to New Zealand and started um, making double roku in, in the kitchen until I got kicked out and into the garage. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and um, and at that point, the rest the rest of the team decided that I was going to be the brewer. So. Um, Things sort of changed direction from that point on, and I, I really got into studying. Okay, so that wasn't really part of the design from the beginning, is you taking on responsibility, the brewing responsibility? No, no, it was, it was something, you know, I'm going to be a sake brewer. <laughs> but I think um, personality-wise and all of that, I think Dave just kind of makes the, the best fit of them all, um, because... To be a full-time brewer, you need to be quite meticulous and you need to be, you need to work within, you know, within a structure and a regimen. And I think Dave has um, a wonderful sort of ability to work with structure and his extreme attention to detail, really. That's... I didn't know I had that until I started um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) trying to make sake and... Yeah, it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, you said DIY, D, DIY guy, or yeah, or where are you? <laughs> That's a phrase you don't use very often. Is it? Just about That's everything in his brewery is <laughs> DIY. Yeah, there's um, and um, a couple of the, our helpers as well. We're none of us are very y- young. Um, Marie lowered the average age considerably when she was with us. Um, but so we kind of come from that generation where you fixed fixed your car yourself, or you know fixed your own lawn mower, or um, your your own barbecue, or something like that. You know, you you made if you wanted a chair, you, you a, a stool or a table or something, you make it yourself. So I guess, um, and in particular, our our parents, our fathers, that's what they did. You know, they didn't buy things. <laughs> you made do with what you know what you had and, and you, you give it a try didn't always work and of course you never throw anything away because there's, there's no, nothing is junk so um when we started setting up the brewery all this junk i had around um a lot of which had been handed down from my father all, all became very useful <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's been a lot of fun doing that 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 as well you know it's, it's quite satisfying um to uh bring all the stuff out and say, I knew it would be useful. <laughs> and you, you'll find that's, you know, um, like you, when you go to these kind of smaller breweries in Japan that maybe are just like 
not starting up, but maybe they've they've gone through bad times and they kind of you know they're, they're having <clears> to kind of revive the brewery in a way. <clears throat> you you see this a lot. This kind of <clears throat> uh, you know making do with what you have available and and sake brewing is actually very versatile in that respect, isn't it? You don't really you don't really need that you know special equipment to to brew. Is there anything that you you absolutely couldn't do without that you had to buy from Japan or that you had to have made to measure to to brew to brew the sake that you're brewing or um, I guess um, after a trial and error, at this stage, um, the yeast <laughs> is very important, I think. Okay, not a piece of equipment, but the actual no, ingredient itself. Okay. No, um, though I, it's just some very simple things. Um, for example, uh, the, um, when steaming rice, the, um, the uh, material that's used for um, you know, like the big bags that go into the steamer, it's not available it has in New Zealand, as far as I know. I started using sheets. Um, bed sheets. Just bed sheets. Yeah, bed uh, sheets. Good, yeah, good, bed sheets. but um, not as good. <laughs> mm. And um, that's something, if I'd known about it early on, I, and because they're not expensive to mm. buy from Japan either. And, um, and now that we have, we know who to order from, mm. we can get these simple little things, inexpensive things that um, improve the quality of the you know, the steamed rice or the consistency. Mm. Um, the bags we use for um, um, our shizuku, our drip okay. pressing. Yep. Um, we started off with pillowcases. But um, I think, that, like, for example, the, the weave is a bit too tight. Um, little things like that. And, and um, one brewery that I spent some time at um, heard about the pillowcases story and method. And, and, and decided we needed some. So they gave us some of their, um, their spare bags and it made a huge difference. <laughs> they're, they're secretly using the pillowcases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, possibly. Other, other than that, um, uh, I guess we now um, have a, one of those little woodsman rice washing machines. Um, just figuring out how to use it, but... Um, um, yeah, that's something that you can only get from Japan, as far as I know. And that, once again, then for the amount, the quantities of rice we wash, um, I don't think we had it, Matt, when, when you were there. You had it, but it was sitting in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were too scared to. You were too to scared, get it out. too scared to change anything. Yeah, yeah. You kept looking at it when we were washing, just like wondering if you could figure out how to use it, but you weren't quite sure. Uh -huh. Yeah. Well, so that's another thing. It's a, a specialist piece of, of machinery that um, um, I think has really improved the sake and also um, the, the time, you know, it's all about um, efficiency is, is, as we're finding, is very important as well. A limited time to, to succeed and get there. So yeah. what you're essentially doing in a way is you're kind of doing it you know, from the ground up, doing it the traditional way, you know, and then, yeah, like you say, they introduce these pieces of equipment to try and make the brewing more efficient mm -hmm. or whatever. And if you're trying to brew with just one person yeah. or two people, that's where that kind of equipment becomes essential, especially if you want to produce, you know, volume. Yeah. But yeah, that's, it's yeah, yeah, doing yeah. it the way that we're doing it hundreds of years ago. Yes, that was our, mm. our um, intention at the start, yeah, is to try and do it in a traditional method. Before we, we dig too deep into the nitty-gritty and stuff like that, we'll get into that. But I also, this gentleman chimed in. Matt chimed in a moment ago. So we want to make sure we get this gentleman on mic, figure out who, who, who else is, is huddled around the table here. 
Matt, so you're making sake in a certain capacity with yes. future intentions to make more sake. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting yeah. it. Tell us about what you're up to. Well, I think um, if Dave considers himself a novice, I'm a village amateur uh, in the world of brewing sake. Me and my partner, Quentin, who's, who's back in Australia, manning the ranch, as it were, while I gallivant around Japan. Both come from a restaurant background in Melbourne. Um, I came from a more sommelier background for the last six or seven years, and he was slightly more management. Um, and we'd get together every now and again and drink too much of something and say that we should make it when we're drunk. Um, we tried to make some uh, Italian style Amaro at one stage um, to mix success. And then we saw other people do it more successfully and more commercially than we ever thought we could. And um, yeah, I guess we kind of just saw the craft industry in, in Melbourne and Australia in general growing and growing. And, you know, you can't move uh, a, a gin distillery or a, a craft brewer um, in Melbourne. Uh, but no one was making sake. Um, and yeah, after one too many bottles of, of sake, we decided we'd take it upon ourselves. Um, I think it was that night when we got drunk on sake and said, well, we'll take it upon ourselves. We emailed Dave <laughs> uh, in New Zealand because we'd heard about, heard about the New Zealand sake brewer. And whilst Dave isn't necessarily the quickest to respond in email, uh, he got back to us eventually. And <laughs> Ruth's dying over here. Know, something. <laughs> For about like the last 10 minutes, she like keeps having these reoccurring fits of like, there's. If you think there, he was scared of the woods and wise, what's it just seeing how it looks like a laptop? Because I'm dying with a laptop. It's a bit of an, an awkward joke at Dave, you know, like, I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh at this or not. But I know because his inbox has been exploding since 1999. <laughs> And yeah, it's um I think it's a part of Dave's charm. You know. Um <laughs> But I shouldn't take the I mick. Could. I shouldn't take the mick. He was uh he was very gracious and generous with his with his time in the end. So um inbox is not top of my list. No, I know it's no, not I know it's not no. mate. Um And yeah, Dave was very generous with it with his time in the end and um he offered for us to go and work there for two weeks with him, uh brewing. So uh we did that, learn learned from Dave how to how to do things, saw how he was going about things, and like you guys touched on the equipment. You know, we, um, you can read all the textbooks in the world and watch all the videos in the world um, and theorize that, you know, maybe we could steam rice in a stock pot. And, you know, yeah, maybe that's true. But then you go to go to Queenstown and visit Dave, and that's exactly what he's doing. And you go, ah, it can be done. Um, so after two weeks of uh, seeing Dave do his thing and how he was achieving things, uh, it kind of gave us the confidence that we could do the same thing ourselves. Um, we both came back from those two weeks in New Zealand and sort of marinated for a couple of days and both said to each other, now nah, let's do it. So um, planned a trip to the States to kind of do the same kind of thing. We spent six weeks over in the United States visiting craft breweries. Um, sounds kind of counterintuitive to go to America to learn how to brew sake until you think about it. <laughs> um, so the way I decided to learn to brew sake was go to New Zealand and the States. Um, but in terms of size and scale and make it up as you go along DIY, that was, that was the way we did it. So um, we did six weeks in the States visiting various breweries and learn, you know, more and more along the way and different solutions, different ways of doing things. And uh, yeah, came back from that, both both quit our full-time jobs and decided to give it a go. Okay, there you are. You're in Melbourne. Mm. I want to brew sake. Mm. Well, you need water. <laughs> you mm. need rice. Mm. How did you tackle these issues? So still tackling. Still tackling. Haven't finished the tackling uh, yet. Um, water, 
we're lucky in Melbourne in that it's, and don't quote me exactly on this, but uh, I think the American way of measuring it in parts per million, we're between 10 and 26 parts per million hardness, which is soft even by Japanese standards. Indeed. Um, I think I think very, very soft in Japan is below 30. That's right. From what I understand. So we're... What in, about you, Dave, actually? Um, yeah, I'm not very good on numbers, but I, I, did, I have researched, remembering numbers, but I have researched it and, and we're like... Um, not competing with Melbourne, of course, but super soft, super soft. We're both super soft. Super, super soft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and and we, that's one of the things we um, looked at very early on, um, as soon as I'd done a little bit of study and learned it here in Japan about the effects of hard water and soft water. Um. It's not just the hardness, is it? It's, it's how many minerals it actually contains. Because when you're measuring the hardness of water, you actually only measure magnesium and calcium yes, yes. you also have potassium phosphorus and one of the escapes my mind which is actually what drives the yeast in the fermentation so even when you have soft water in japan it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to end up with what we would call a slow or kind of languid fermentation it could still be quite aggressive and you could still get quite robust and rich flavors from that yes. yeah. yeah yeah and, and we, we did find that um our water is runoff from um glacial 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 mountains and mountains that have been carved by glaciers um so the the rain basically or the snow basically um falls and runs straight into the lake uh where we draw our water from i'm not sure about melbourne Never mind. no no do i it's not it's not snow melt um that's for sure there's four different reservoirs that serve melbourne as municipal water i understand and they're all slightly different in the way they're kind of formed um i'm not professing to be an expert of any stretch i uh, turned the tap on and measured the water <laughs> and uh, that was enough to kind of give us the confidence like you said um i guess the kind of the things that fell into place when we were planning on brewing sake was well look can we get rice yes australia grows lots and lots of rice cool well that's one good part what's the water like japanese brewers use soft water well let's look at the water ah it's soft cool maybe this is possible before we visited dave that kind of step was was like are we barking up the wrong tree here or is this actually something that looks like it could work and yeah those kind of things fell into place um obviously sakamai is a little bit of a tricky one no one's growing that in australia yet obviously the complete mad dream would be that we'd be able to help people do that and be a different way for the rice industry um since we haven't released a batch commercially that's maybe some way away but that's kind of what we'd like to do kosher hikari is grown in australia widely enough for our purposes anyway which we'd love to try and use eventually we're not yet but i know the thing again, it's like inspiring confidence is I have tasted sake made from kosher curry that's good. And I've tasted sake from kosher curry that's not polished much, which as we talked about before recording, um, milling sake rice or milling any rice to a semi bua you'd think of for sake in Australia isn't really possible yet because there's no industry. So um, tasting these sakes from 90% kosher curry, I'm not suggesting I've got the level of skill or ability to do it yet. Uh, but that is the aim, and I know it's possible because I've tasted some. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, and that, that's actually that's yeah. I'm, that's something I'm really super curious about because you're talking about, okay, so we're, we're going to turn on the faucet, we're going to measure it, we're going to see where we're at. The first question is always, given the resources readily available, can we make something that we could call sake? Mm. Is, of course, step yeah. one. Mm. But when you decide you're going to make sake, usually it's not just... I'm going to make sake and I'm going to be satisfied with it. You've had some sort of experience or some sort of something that is informing the type of sake that you want to make. Mm. And whether you can, of course, you, 
you know, nobody can do that from batch number one, maybe not from batch number 10, maybe not from batch number, you know, 30, 40, 50 in the first, you know, for four or five years. I, I mean, and I, and I reckon, you know, that's clearly, you know, you, there's a long-term vision. I'm just sort of curious what that, from the get-go, what that vision is for, not just I'm going to make sake, but how do you envision the sake that you are going to make? How is that sort of, how do you integrate that into your planning both initially as you get started mm -hmm. as well as sort of long-term? How do you, I'm curious sort of how you guys are both sort of uh, address that or sorry, how, how you think about that? Well, I guess kind of our manifesto from the get-go is to make the best sake we can from what we have available at the time. Water-wise, it's unchangeable as far as we're concerned for now. We have the soft water, so it's going to be a soft water sake. Um, we have the rice we have available. Um, we'll make what we can. Uh, we both come, me and Quentin, my partner, come from a, more of a wine and beer background. Um, I think, and, you know, I'm English, he's Australian. We like strong flavors. Um, so kind of we come from it, you know, we love Yamaha, we love Komoto. We like sort of stronger, robust you know, Genshu type stuff as well, I guess, um, to go with more food. Like Zenkuro is beautiful, uh, Moroccan Nama Genshu that we're enjoying while we record, may I just say. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> we are available in all good liquor stores. <laughs> if you're quick, only if you're quick. <laughs> and Dan Murphy's. So yeah, we're we're not too scared of acidity or robust flavors in our sake. Um, I don't think there's a wrong or right style to be made. We appreciate delicate light daiginjos for sure. But yeah, aside from sort of stylistically what we're trying to do, it's just to make the best things with the raw materials we have. Um, and as I said before, a bit of a pipe dream at this stage, but to improve those raw materials and make it into a easier for us and better to make the sake with. So sake varieties of rice, you know, maybe different yeasts down the track, um, which isn't necessarily the easiest thing to acquire outside of Japan. Um, but yeah, I guess the overall manifesto is to make the best we can, slightly richer, more robust, maybe is our taste, um, and improve on that as we go. Is, is there something out there that's kind of is your, is your benchmark? Do you have anything that, at least where it's like, if we can get somewhere in this vicinity we I, I we feel comfortable putting this out into the world is there is there something you said you know um given the rice that you have and the resources you yeah, have and the yeah, and no. ability to polish are you thinking you're going to start with a yamaha or something along those lines or is there something out there that you've seen that you're like this is if you know that you're sort of striving for to yeah, from, from no, I see start, what you're saying from a, from a start line or something i wouldn't say there's one one thing out there that we're trying to attain or emulate because that's going to be as Nine and impossible, I'd say. I think maybe we're jumping ahead a little bit here, but talking about um, the price difference of importing sake to Australia compared to us producing it ourselves. I think Dave actually showed us a really important point, which was if you're trying to find the perfect product that you're happy with to release, you're never going to release anything. Um, and you're going to be brewing for five years until you release something. So you can't do that. I didn't necessarily think about that in those terms until Dave made that quite clear. So that was a really good lesson. And... Um, I guess what we're trying to do or what I would be happy with releasing is tasting the sake and going, would I pay for that in a restaurant at the price we're going to offer it? And it doesn't need to be perfect or amazing or a transcendent experience that I think would change people's views on sake, but it needs to be if I was myself sitting in a restaurant as a relatively hard-nosed consumer, um, would I be happy having bought that? Uh, and that's kind of the, the way Mark may be. So, Dave, then, so how about for you when you got started? What was your initial, was there something that you were striving to make? And then sort of what has that iteration process looked like for you over the last five years or so? 
Yeah, well, first of all, I'm not sure I would like Matt to be one of my customers. <laughs> but um, um, s similar, at, at the start, um, and it was advice I, I got from Japanese brewers, is just use whatever you can get your hands on. And um, yeast, we started with baker's yeast and uh, <coughs> wine yeast, wine yeast. Bit, ale yeast, you know, and, and the rice was... Um, well, I could buy in the supermarket, um, probably milled 5% or 10%. And the advice was, don't worry about the rice, don't worry about the yeast, just practice brewing. So um, the f first 10, 15, 20 batches uh, were just about practicing. Um, and we, I still release them. <laughs> so that's, no, that's, so that's, that's what I'm curious about too. So this is, so that you're able to, Iterate. There's nothing restricting you from brewing and experimenting and putting those things out to the world, either as a novice brewer or as an official product. Mm. I'm sort of, that's a liberty that we do not have here in Japan. Yeah. And so I'm I'm sort of curious. You know, you you have the choice as to whether or not you want to, you know, you know, get yeah. down, get your hands dirty in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, after dinner or whatever. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, and do that on a very small scale. Yeah. You know, versus actually making something, putting it out into the world here. You know, even if it's beer, you have a lot of craft beer breweries that are popping up right and left all over yeah, the place in yeah, Japan yeah. now. Mm. Whereas their initial brews are essentially would have been, you know, home brews for a lot of people. It's the type of stuff a lot of people have started with. Not the, and it's you know a little bit all over the place right mm. now. You've got all kinds of amazing craft beer in Japan, but with yeah. the boom, you've got it's kind of it's starting to become a little bit chaotic in that. You know, <laughs> most most people's starting point is this is the first time I've ever done this, and it's you know. You said you released your first product, but how was was there a stage or a process in there where it was like I'm tinkering around at home, and now I'm going to bottle it and try and put it on a shelf? Um, I, no, it was um, for 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 me. Uh, it was actually a th third batch, other than the double rock double rock stage um, before I actually started doing or knew about Sandanjikomi. <laughs> um, it was, it was um, um, double rock, and then. Did a bit of study and went to Canada in particular, and um, I wrote down the procedure and, and the methods, and came back and, and tried it. So three batches from there, um, I took some in to my wife for dinner one night, and she drank it and nodded. <laughs> so just just gave me the confidence to to put it to put it out there, and. Um, and we didn't say, oh, this is the greatest sake in the world, of course, but um, we said it's New Zealand's first and give it a try and see what you think. At the time, um, he was like, oh, yeah, well, good, it's not too bad. But now people are saying, oh, I remember that first sake. <laughs> <laughs> Had you thought about your brand at that point in time? Yes, yeah. Um, so the, the brand, um, the brand Zenkuro, uh, all black, that popped out before long before the sake ever arrived <laughs> yeah 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 we you know, played around with a lot of stuff in our heads and dreamt and and um and that was one of the fun things coming up with a, a name <laughs> we always wanted to use kanji yeah the name the name was very early on yeah. What, what, yeah. what made you want to I impress these characters upon your label yeah. what was it what was the driving sort of motivation behind that we wanted to you know, show um our respect for Japanese things and, and in particular um, craftsmanship, you know, making things by hand. 
keeping things simple and sort of it's a good place to start. Um, and it, it was just, for me, it was always, I never really thought about it very much, but it, the name was going to be in Kanzi. Um, but obviously, as you, you've mentioned, um, it needs to be um, you know, accessible and understandable. So we had, had to think of something that, that New Zealanders would get their heads around quite quickly um, and something that Japanese would um, be able to relate to, to, to New Zealand as well. So we came a bit of a, a compromise by putting down beside the, the characters, we've got Zenkuro written in English as well. <laughs> it's brilliant. I, lo I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I was like, I heard it and I went, oh, oh yeah, of course. Why not? <laughs> what else? It just it seems like a no brainer when you hear it, you know, but it's, it's so clever. I just ask you said you that, that third batch was kind of like the one which where you decided to release and then how how many other batches after that w were successful or did you have kind of go through another kind of more kind of failed batches or you know how difficult was it to reproduce that that flavor that you'd given to your wife that night and she'd given you praise for um probably never produced it again <laughs> <laughs> but that 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 wasn't it wasn't particularly good in all honesty, it was just much better than number one and number two, I think. And in the rice we use, the, the methods, everything has changed completely. If we're going to talk about a number, um, batch number seven, I remember it well because we, we got a, a medal at the London Sake Challenge with our seventh batch. And the eighth batch was <laughs> completely different from the seventh, <laughs> and um, I, I think it was a that batch was um, one one person bought the whole whole batch, um, so that kind of disappeared into into nowhere, um, and then I think from memory from about batch nine we we started using um, Calrose um, milled to sixty percent, which was a a big change as well. Um, Until that mm. point, it was what we're using. Um, well, from batch three onwards, I think it was Calrose as seventy percent. Yeah, milled. Yeah, and from that batch on as well, it was uh, nine oh one yeast, which changed things obviously. <laughs> but it's uh, it's it's um, through to the, to the sake we just um, tasted there is batch number fifty two. Um, and when I get back um, next week, we'll start on batch fifty-four. So we still, you know, not we still haven't done that many, um, but from about batch 40, 40 onwards, and um, about about when Marie, um, well, maybe Marie's last batch, we sort of changed changed again and changed our direction. I joined at batch number eighteen. Eighteen correctly to this day. <laughs> yeah, eighteen um, was was. With Calrose once again, and mm -hmm. uh, just there, we're constantly looking for, looking for ways to improve. And most of those um, ways came from visits to Japan and talking to brewers and saying, "Hey, this this is this is what it tastes like, and this is what's happening." Any ideas, and um, and they give give you advice or just just show you how they do it, um, and then you'd give it a try. And sometimes it worked, it, it worked, and sometimes uh, it didn't change things much, but um, we're, we're, we've kind of found 
our direction, I think, now, and we're going to stick stick with that for a little while. Who are your biggest fans? Who would you say your demographic is in, in New Zealand at the moment? Uh, um, well, you know, 90% of the sakes we make is sold in, in New Zealand. And it, perhaps surprisingly um, to some people, it's not Japanese um, restaurants. <laughs> Things have changed, change, changed a lot. The appreciation for sake is spreading. It's gone beyond a beverage that needs to be enjoyed with... with um, Japanese food, and probably Matt would know more about than this than me, coming from Melbourne. Um, but sort of New Zealand, New Zealand, modern New Zealand food. Obviously, we have a lot of very good fresh ingredients in New Zealand. Um, and until about 20 years ago, we probably didn't have um, ideas and experience on on how to make best use of the ingredients. But um, our chefs have, have, have been out there. Uh, getting new ideas and a lot of it's there's a lot of Asian um, flavor inf- influence in New Zealand now, mm. and and for for I mean, so those customers to our yeah. listeners I should say that we are enjoying Zenkuro with yeah. a, a local <laughs> yeah. New, New Zealand cheese, aren't we? Yes. So it's quite and, simple, isn't and it? the pairing works very <laughs> well. And I was just mm. thinking as you were talking about New Zealand food, I was just thinking this this sake that we're drinking now, I can see that going really well with um, lamb, which of course is a you know. It's a big, yeah. big staple, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Yeah. And, and in particular for visitors to New Zealand, um, they tend to eat the cuts of lamb that we don't eat at home very often. But um, it's, it's, something, it's something we ha- have tried to work on. Is to, It's hard to uh, brew one sake that will match with everything. And, and I don't even know if it's worthwhile trying that, but... We have a little bit of a range now, so if if you can pick one from the range um, um, to go with this, one to go with that, or if you're eating this, choose choose the drip press or um, so forth. But yeah, lamb is something we have tried to to, to pair it with. When you said that it's not your sake isn't served quite so much in Japanese or Asian cuisine restaurants specifically, mm. is part of that have to do with being based in Queenstown? Do you sell a lot of your product in Queenstown? Is that sort of a unique market, just being such a huge tourist population, and or is most of your product available in Auckland, or is it just a completely different thing? Is that mm. an all New Zealand sort um, of a trend, or is that something sort of unique to where you're at and where you have access? No, to? it's actually a, a, an all New Zealand trend. Yeah, when we, when we started, um, we sort of thought, okay, there's 200 Japanese restaurants in in New Zealand, and if we can sell, you know, one bottle a week to each one of them, we'll be we'll be sweet. <laughs> 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 and there'd be and there's a Japanese food at the time a boom. I think it's not really a boom now. It's just um, Japanese food is is normal. <laughs> you know, it's it's one of the world's yeah, cuisines and um, children in New Zealand eat sushi for lunch. You know, their mums make them sushi for lunch, for example. Um, so it's it's out it's out there. And so we we, we kind of thought um, that the the, the the Japanese food boom and uh, um, we'll be able to ride that wave a little bit, but um, it, it didn't really work like that. Uh, and and we found um, it easier to um, there's so many chefs in New Zealand, food and beverage people who looking for new things and and new flavors um, and they soon caught on that sake actually works well with all all these sort of um, 
international fusion, also the word is fusion, that code uh, seems to go very well. So we, while it was very important for us to be involved with Japanese restaurants um, and Japan, we probably sort of figured out now that that's not that's not the main area we need to be focusing on. As an outsider visiting Queenstown, when I went to visit Dave, uh, coming from a restaurant background, it was really, really cool to see the breadth of businesses supporting him. So, you know, we'd go for breakfast at a place and they were using sake and a cocktail from Zenkuro. We went to a different place that wasn't having to do with Japanese and they were using Zenkuro. Um, so I, I couldn't put a number on it, but went to a lot of different places and just looking around for research purposes and Zenkuro was everywhere. So it was being supported in a really cool way. So it was really, it was really, really good to see a community sort of effort supporting the local stuff there. I was cool. I was really impressed by that. So, so as somebody who's about to create something and put it out into the world, how, are you looking at developing sort of that community at this stage? What sort of your you're mentioning you have a great you know craft beer, wine making communities, and I imagine maybe there's some support some support on that end, but also as far as getting into restaurants or getting into places, are you starting to make some of those connections and stuff at this point? Well, I guess one of the sort of main advantages of my background is knowing the restaurant industry in Melbourne and knowing a few people as well. Like Dave was saying, the I think the biggest avenue for growth for sake at the moment is that it's not just for Japanese food, not just for having you know Japanese restaurants. It's for lots of different things. There's the old saying, sake doesn't fight with food. Um, and I think that's never more appropriate than in modern restaurants nowadays. And people are starting to see that. Melbourne is, is about 4 million people population, which is probably the same as New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's true. yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So lucky in the respect that sort of our local audience is a little bit bigger than, bigger than Dave's. Um, hopefully they'll be somewhere near as supportive in, in our endeavours. I'm sure they will be. Yeah. Hope so. Yeah. If you're listening, <laughs> buy Melbourne Sake when it's out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And I think Australia is um, quite a long way ahead of New Zealand in, in terms of understanding and spread of, of sake. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Um, Sydney's had a big Japanese population for a, a very long time. Um, and you'd be hard pushed to go to a fine dining restaurant in the whole country that hasn't got sake as part of its offering. Um, mm. Not just on the list, but as part of their food matching. So... Whilst that's not necessarily filtering down to every pub and country town in Australia, um, <laughs> every watering hole, you know, you're not you're not finding yeah, you're not finding many uh, many nama sakes being served on tap in a country pub. Um, the interested foodie and diner is coming much more familiar with sake, and yeah, it's definitely not you know Japanese focused. It's this goes well with this, and then with Japanese restaurants, there's already obviously a Keeps a product already, yeah. you know. Competitors, yeah. <laughs> um, with a you know a big head start. So um, from a business point of view, it's not necessarily the smart the smart place to look to be selling your your brand new product that no, no one's ever tasted as well. Mm. Yeah, best not to go toe to toe. Yeah, I was I was wondering that. Like, you, what did you, what kind of concerns you had to begin with? Kind of you know that if the sake you produced and you put out would end up maybe having a negative mm. impact on the on the audience there. But that, that's the first concern that I think I would have if I wanted to start brewing. And that would be a pressure, quite a heavy burden to have on your shoulders to be the first one, you know? <laughs> kind of how did you how did you deal with that? And sort of, you know, were there any strategies that you employed to kind of I don't know, 
a combat that's I, I guess um what made it easier was was um getting some recognition at london sake challenge that sort of um was a big help um and i guess we didn't sort of try to you know throw the net out there at everyone we we, we selected the restaurants we thought we could work with who knew us and um, would help us so it was like um, we went to them for advice and um, what kind of you know what do you think this sake would go with on your on your menu sort of thing so the softly softly slowly slowly and um, just one step at a time um, you know hopefully in the end a couple of the Japanese restaurants came to us and said okay we're ready for you now <laughs> uh, but it took it took three three and a half years <laughs> sake means alcohol so um, any product with alcohol could be sold as sake i mean in mm. japan or or overseas i mean you cannot call your product nihonshu so how, is that a threat do you see it as a threat or, or how do you want to address the facts that anyone can release products in the market uh, produced from not necessarily good rice polished and fermented using sake yeast and uh, call it sake i don't think the market is strong enough for people to be trying to undercut you in such a way it seems like the offering from most of what i've seen in the states and what dave's doing and what we're trying to do is you're aiming to hit a very very small segment of the kind of on-premise places so restaurants and bottle shops that are doing high quality stuff if sake in australia new zealand america ever got to the point that people were trying to do bad quality futsushi i'm sure we would have made our millions by then because <laughs> it would be you know i wouldn't be so worried well obviously i wouldn't ever like to see that but yeah i don't you don't you don't see much futsushi outside of japan because the taxation is so high that it's not a, it's not a thing it's not a it's not a, a cheap entry-level drink it's the fact that Fatsushu is not selling here in Japan. The reason yeah. why the industry is in, yeah. is such a you know. Still. So it's it's not an entry level drink that you have when you're on a night out. It's an it's a high level fine wine alternative in a good restaurant or bottle shop. So I wouldn't necessarily see that as a issue at least for now. And as I said, if it ever does get to be an issue, I'm sure we'll be relatively happy that sake has done so well in our respective countries. And that will do it for part one of this two-part series, examining what goes into starting up a brewery outside of Japan. If you wouldn't mind popping on over to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us, we would greatly appreciate that. Also, feel free to follow us on social media at at sakeonair or send us your questions or comments about the show to questions at sakeonair.com. Sake on Air is recorded and broadcast from the Japan Sake and Shochu Information Center in the heart of Tokyo and made possible with the support of the Japan Sake and Shochu Makers Association. The show is a co-production between Export Japan and Potsuke Productions with audio engineering and editing by Mr. Frank Walter. We will be back with part two very shortly, so please stay tuned and come by. Bye.